So we're looking again at John 15. And this morning, particularly the little numbers there under the big number 15, the little numbers 12 through 17. I'm going to read that. Just keeping in mind that it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's speaking this to his followers. And we'll we'll read it first and then think about what it has, what God has to teach us in it. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name. He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In in this series, this section of John, we've been giving attention to what Jesus told his disciples in the transition between the end of his teaching ministry and what will be soon the end of his life. John records an extended conversation in which Jesus explains some pivotal things for his disciples to know and remember Once he leaves, he's emphasized, as we've already seen, how important he will continue to be for their life, even though he will be gone. He's told them that he will send his spirit. He has stressed that they must remain with him in his word, obeying him. Jesus gave the disciples the image of the vine that would help them remember this part of his teaching. And, and that picture that we see him describe and lay out earlier in chapter 15, that's still very much in view as we hear Jesus' words here. Jesus, the vine, as a reminder, is the source of our life with God. By faith, we connect ourselves to him. And from that connection, he gives us his obedience. The life of Jesus moving in his people is the ability and desire to obey Jesus. This morning we will see that Jesus expected his life in his disciples to produce a particular result. There would be evidence that the vines were the branches were connected to the vine, that the life of the vine was flowing into the branches. In the vine illustration there was the vine There was obedience coming through the branch, and the branch would bear the fruit of love. In verse 12, there is a direct command from Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. says something very similar in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And so this is the basic and simple main idea of my sermon this morning based on this passage. It's this. Jesus tells us to love each other with his love. Jesus tells us to love each other with his love. 
But, simple as it may be, we have to remember this is part of the vine conversation. Or we may very well misinterpret what we read here. The love commanded is not the vine. It's not the connection point to the vine. It is the visible evidence that Christ's obedient love is indeed moving in and through us. Jesus' command is plain and simple enough. Love each other with my love. Yet we might have more questions. What is this love? Who is each other? How does this happen? Why does Jesus tell us to do this? Well, these are the questions we'll ask this morning. What is his love? Who is each other? How does this happen? Why does Jesus tell us to do this? Those are the questions that will be answered for us, I trust, in John 15, 12 through 17. Thankfully, I think Jesus answers all those questions here that we might have. So if Jesus is telling us to love each other with his love, our first question is, what is his love? Kids, what is love? What is love? Might be hard to describe, right? It's hard for me to describe, you ask me. What is, what is it? Well, look at how Jesus is helping us to understand this, this big idea that might be hard for us to put into words by pointing to what happens and evidence in our life. Kids, help me. Listen to what Jesus says. Then you tell me how you know someone loves you. Okay? Here's Jesus' words. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How do you know that someone loves you? Tell me. Say it loud. Greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. How do you know someone loves you greatly? What do they do for you? Chloe. Okay, they give generously to you. They sacrifice for you. What does Jesus say? What will the person do who loves you greatly? He will lay down his what? Life for his friends. What's the greatest way to show you love someone? You lay down your life. Okay, so one more question. Do you know anyone, kids, who has laid down their life for you? Is there anyone you can think of that gave up his life for you? Anybody? And, and who? Parents have sacrificed for you. Might not be the first thing you think of, but maybe. Who actually died for you that we sing about every Sunday? Tell me. Say it loud. Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus says, whoever the person is who shows us the greatest love by giving his life. 
That's the person that we know defines and shows us what love is, the greatest love. Jesus is talking about himself. He's not giving an abstract principle. He's paving the way for the concrete reality of what he's about to do. He's going to go to a cross, himself be killed, his life ended, so that anyone who believes in him would not die but live. There is practical application in abundance for us as a church here. Uh, But let's not rush to it too fast. Let's not get there yet. Pause here. Relish that God through his son showed you the greatest love possible. The motivation to love others is not only because Jesus tells us to, but because Jesus loves us. So what is love? Jesus says love is what I do. (laughs) Love is Jesus choosing the most costly sacrifice in order that others would receive his love. Jesus' sacrifice transfers his love to those who benefit from his sacrifice. Why did Jesus die? Because he wanted you to have his love. He wanted you to live in it. He wanted you to live it. A true definition of love must always start with who God is and what he does. If we start here, we will steer far clear of big errors that come in our definitions of love. Love's definition centers on who Jesus is and what he does. Love is not defined by what we think we need. Love doesn't wait to get before giving. It gives and gives and gives for the good of others. We'll talk in a minute about how Jesus' command to love will mean you end up getting his love, receiving his love from other people. But that in and of itself is not Jesus' focus here. The action he wants you to think about taking on a daily basis, Christian, is this. Jesus gave me his love. And that love he gives, he wants me to live giving it to others. I think we fear obeying Jesus in this. Because we think if we give ourselves away... And don't protect our interests. No one's going to look after us. We'll be left high and dry. Emptied of all we have to give. Nothing coming into us to fill us up. In other words, we fear if we lay down our lives to love, we'll die to ourselves. That is exactly what happens in the Christian life. So I can't really assuage you of the reality that your fears will become true because they will if you fear it. But you don't need to be afraid of that. Love that sacrifices doesn't end our life like we fear. If anything, it's what brings us into the life Jesus is is living. Look at Jesus. He, He poured out his life to death. Jesus died loving us, yet we maintain as Christians that today he loves us still. He loves us today. How is that? Because he rose from death. 
In the resurrection, life outlives death and love conquers sin that leads to death. You can die to yourself with Jesus at the cross and rise in his resurrection to live in love with Jesus' life in you. Christ in me means I don't need to worry about self-preservation. You or I may be poured out, but what remains in its place is Christ. He fills and he overflows. And he fills and he overflows. This is the amazing picture of the church. Marissa, he fills and overflows as you give of the love he gives and keeps on. Elijah, he fills and he overflows. Mary, he fills and he overflows and continues to do it. It's true in each of his saints here. Nothing will be left lacking in our sacrifice. Yes, sacrifice is cost. Yes, we're spending something. Yes, we're losing something. That's why we feel sacrifice. But we're gaining Christ. We're getting more than we give. And what we get will never run out. Trusting Jesus means transferring your fear to Jesus and believing him. That when you lay down your life, he will give you his life to live in its place. Christian, this is how you know you're living Jesus' life. When you find that you're motivated by the thought that if you give yourself, others will receive Jesus' love from you. And so you give it freely. Jesus tells us to love one another with his love. His love gives himself so you might receive his love. So that's our first question. What is love? Well, it's Jesus' love. But Jesus says there are people he has in view that he wants us to give love to. And, And so his command tells us, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Who is that? Who is one another? Question number two. Well, the immediate obvious answer is, if we've been reading this, is the disciples, right? But I think it's bigger than that. You know, Peter and John, who I think were there listening to Jesus teach this on that day, then went on to write to a lot of people who didn't hear Jesus say this in their letters. And they would tell them, love one another. 1 John 3.11 1 Peter 1.22. So it's beyond just the disciples that's in view here is the one another. Another obvious answer is whoever Jesus calls friends, right? Greater love has no one than this. than someone laid down his life for his friends. If we're modeling Jesus' love in our, in our lives, then we're at least thinking about his friends and how Jesus loved them. The people Jesus is talking to are to love one another as he loved them. And the people Jesus loves are his friends. Who are Jesus' friends? They're the people Jesus dies for, verse 13. The one he shows great love to. They are the people who obey Jesus, verse 14. They are the people who hear Jesus and understand God sent him as their savior, verse 15. And Jesus' friends are the people Jesus chooses to use for his purposes, verse 16. You stack up all those descriptions together and we see Jesus is describing what will become his church. 
if you would obey Jesus' commands, we must not only be okay with a general feeling of love for Christians all over the world, but we must commit to sacrificial love for a defined group of people where we are. When the apostles go with the Holy Spirit and write to the early churches, they transfer Jesus' command here to specific congregations of Christians. To each defined assembly, they write, encourage one another, guard one another, watch over one another, care for one another, love one another. Jesus' instructions here are a foundational reason why we all need to be meaningfully committed to a local church. Every Christian should be able to say, these people are my one another's. And I'm part of their definition of their one another's. This is not only for you to be able to obey and showing love, but also so that you might receive Jesus's love from others as he has told them to be a part of your life too, sacrificing themselves for you so that you might have his love. Everyone's in view here. At this church, if you're visiting with us, those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, like we heard Michael do earlier, been obedient in baptism, as we saw this morning, and committed their accountability and responsibility for this group of Christians, we are one another's each other. So members of this church, I understand that you are Jesus' love to me and me to you. I have no other one another as the Bible defines it. Not in this way. Not in this special way. As long as I'm here with you and you're here with me, we are this to each other. I can go to India and worship with God's people there and I can praise God for how I'm knit to the universal people of God who, who Jesus has loved all of us. But it is the people I live with. That's especially who Jesus wants you and me to love. People we're committed to here. This is vital. This is vital because love cannot exist outside of commitment. We learn that from God. Who decided to love us long ago and carry through on that even though we were sinners. Without commitment, we know we love till it hurts and then we bolt. Without commitment, we love till we're disappointed. Then we go looking elsewhere for the kind of love we want. Without commitment, we make love transactional and conditional. It's when a brother receives the loving wounds of a rebuke and stays that love each other flowers. It's when a sister keeps showing up for another suffering sister, though there's no clear end to their suffering. That's love born out of commitment. Committed love patiently bears through misunderstanding. Committed love chooses to believe the best and hopefully trusts that conflicts of any kind can be reconciled and resolved at the cross. Is Jesus saying we're only to love other church members? What about love for people who are Christians elsewhere? People who are our friends but not believers? Doesn't Jesus also say to love our enemies? He does and we should. But Jesus' words here are not ruling out these other people. But Jesus is saying, he is saying that there is an even higher quality love we experience together as part of his body. 
Jesus is describing his specific saving love that comes into his people that gets shared among his people. See that? From Jesus into his people to Jesus' people. As long as an enemy of God remains an enemy, they cannot share in that. They cannot participate in that love. We love our enemies to show what the love of God is like. We love the church because we all know God and know we're all a part of his loving life. So Christians, center your life around loving the church. Prioritize being here when we gather so that we can encourage one another in this time. Strengthen the bonds of love we share in Christ. Share life together throughout the week. Make sure there is time for you to be around Jesus' friends so that you can love Jesus by loving them. Be a part of this church to love others. In light of Jesus' words, one of the main reasons you join a church is to love Jesus' people. Church membership is the act in which you publicly give yourself to regularly give Jesus' love to the each other's God has given you in the church. And let me just, let me just highlight while I'm on a church membership kick. Let me just highlight one other advantage. Being clearly part of a group of each other's is also assurance to you that you do indeed love Jesus. Because you are choosing to live to love his church. So if you struggle to know if you really love Jesus, one way to bolster your confidence in that is to see how you feel about his people here. If you love Christ's bride, then you love the groom. If you want to serve and give and love among us, then I would say there's evidence that the love of Jesus is coming out of you. Praise God for that. And I see it happening all the time. In and among us. So church love is not a man-made duty we expect from each other. It's Jesus' blood-bought gift for our spiritual benefit. The tighter in our life comes and stays, the more we will reap of Jesus' gift of his love. So Jesus tells us to love each other with his love. And we know and understand from that that we are one another. We are one another. If you need a one another and you believe Jesus died and rose for you, you are welcome to be a part of this here that we're pursuing together. Third question. How does this happen? How does this love one another actually come about among Jesus' friends? Hopefully we're clear on what the love is now from Jesus. It's Jesus' love. Who we're to love, we're to love Jesus' friends. But how do we do it? Well, we obey Jesus' commands by living Jesus' love. I don't know if you've picked up on the theme yet from this passage, but everything Jesus is saying is oriented around him. To love is his command. His love defines our life. His friends become our friends. You see the pattern? And then we aren't surprised then that the answer to the how to obey Jesus is what he's been talking about already. Remain and abide in Jesus. Did you notice, and maybe notice again if you already have, look at how our ability to love 
depends on Jesus. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Before we act in love, Jesus acted in love to give his life sacrificially. Before we grasp what his love means for us, Jesus causes us to understand the love the Father has given us. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Before we go and minister in his love, Jesus chooses and appoints us to that purpose. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Before the fruit of love appears on our branches, Jesus' life comes into us and causes that fruit to grow. So we're in a season of transition as a church. We're looking forward to what God has in store for us. We're praying to that end. Having gotten to know you, I know there's a deep desire here to love Jesus and love one another. How can we do that well? Well, keep remembering that love comes from God. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. As in all things Christian, there is no life of love apart from life in the vine. Remember what we've learned about life in the vine already in Jesus. Jesus is life. We connect to him in faith. He brings his obedient life into us by the spirit. We love each other by believing and allowing Jesus to live in us and show his love through us. You and I are not love creators. We are love conduits through which Jesus' love flows to each other. The love of the triune God is coming into you as his person and flowing out of you. This is exactly what Jesus will tell people in other parts of John. Remember John 4, 7 through 15, woman at the well? That's what he's wanting to tell her. He tells her that he gives living water to anyone who asks from him for it. And that gift will become like a spring inside the person who believes. Then in John 7, 38, anyone who believes in him out of that person's heart will flow rivers of living water. The fountain head of our love is the spirit bringing God's love to us. When we love each other, we are like the we are like the head. We are not like the headwater of that river that comes from God, but we are kind of like the waterfall. By the time God's love has made it from him to us through his son to your heart. The power and rush of that love cannot stop there. It must cascade to one another. Doesn't this turn love into an exciting prospect? I think it gives us great motivation to pray. To pray that we be full of God's love. And wait with expectation to see how he answers that prayer by love overflowing to each other. Prayer is such an important part of how this love spreads to each other. Jesus brings prayer into the picture. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. 
when we remember that love comes from God and the Father has already given his Son and Spirit to bring his love to us, then we eagerly go to the Father and ask him to keep giving himself to us. And as Jesus says in verse 16, when we ask, the Father gives. We've been talking a lot about prayer in this series. And I personally, in case you haven't heard, I've been hearing and been encouraged by how the Lord is working in us in that way. I'm so encouraged to hear stories of how we're praying together. Some of you are meaning to pray for your families and your marriages. I heard this week about a group of women playing to gather at work to pray. Another brother told me about how he's planning to invite some guys to meet up regularly to pray. I was so helped to pray with a brother this week myself for God to be working in our lives. When I hear that kind of thing is happening among us, my, my spiritual heart at least just kind of beats faster. Because love for God and one another is happening in all that. The, the God of the universe is working among us. And what great expectations we can have when he is active in us. Church, Jesus is drawing us deeper into life with God together. And when we ask him to give his love to us, we will see the fruit of his gift showing up in how we love each other. So in prayer, we ask our father to put his love in our hearts. And place us in each other's lives to give his love to each other. So this Wednesday, if you can, come and pray with us at 630. Church, let's take an, a, let's have an active prayer emphasis maybe this week. Okay? Write this down if you would. Pray and love us by praying. Love God by praying this. And let's pray this together. Let's take a prayer emphasis guided by God's word in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. That God would fill us. With his love, Paul writes, and you can use these very words if you don't know exactly what to pray. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Let's pray. For this I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray that this week for each other and in love for God. How does it happen? Jesus lives his love through us. Fourth question, last question. In considering that the main idea of Jesus' words in this passage is that he tells us to love each other with his love, the last question to consider is, why does Jesus tell us to do this? Why? I think so many reasons. Maybe you think about it later this week. You'll probably come up with more than I even list here. I'm just going to give you two. The most obvious one from the text is there in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus tells us to love each other so that the result will be that his people love each other. Remember, Jesus is about to leave. After dying and rising from death, Jesus is going to go back to his Father in heaven. He had faithfully loved his disciples throughout their time together. But now, who will and how will he care for them when he's no longer going to be with them? 
Well, he's going to do it through his word that he's giving them, through his spirit that's coming soon, and through each other, his people. That's how Jesus will care and love. The command to love lets them know what to do. The gift of the spirit gives the power of love. And the combination of the word and spirit in their life will mean that they will love each other. Jesus doesn't want to see his people floundering about this life in isolation. He doesn't want us confused as we try to lean on our own understanding. He doesn't want us cut off from the truth that comes through others pointing us to God's word. He certainly doesn't want us weakened the more we try to live on our own power. So Jesus gives his love where it can be found. Among his people. Jesus wants to love you. He wants to love all his people. He wants to care for all of us. Guard and guide and watch over all of us. Give wisdom and help, support and compassion, care and correction to all of us. You loving me with Jesus' love and me loving you with Jesus' love. That's how Jesus chooses to do it. Remarkable, isn't it? The wisdom of Jesus to spread his love this way. The love of Jesus to share his love with us. The power of Jesus to make us able to be sacrificial givers in love like him. So when we hear Paul pray, may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that what we want? Church, don't we want to be people who experience the love of God? Then listen to Jesus. Let us be loved by Jesus through loving one another. Jesus commands us to love in order to care for us. But let's just take it out a little bit farther. One other reason I want you to see. His reasons don't stop there. Because the love of God doesn't come to a final resting place in one individual or in one local church obeying his commands. This is not the end in sight for him. That we would love one another and stop. Remember the image of the river earlier. Picture the river at its starting point. As it flows, it expands. It covers more. It gets wider. It overflows its banks. It surges into waterfalls. And it cascades until it finally empties into a giant ocean that covers everything. That is what God intends to do with his love. When God gives his love, he means for it to keep overflowing. As soon as you receive it, like a waterfall, you're meant to spill it on over and give it. There are no dams. There are no man-made reservoirs, no cul-de-sacs. Why? Because love enjoys receiving and loves giving. God created this world with a plan to bring us into a full understanding of what it's like to live in the love of God. And so when everything that he loves returns love back to him and obedient love, then it is then that God's glory will have reached its fullness in us. This is what God has been doing since the beginning. This is what God is pursuing right now in all his churches. 
So church, picture yourself and us not as a pool that collects Jesus' love just for ourselves. Instead, imagine and ask that we would be more like that waterfall. A rushing river overflowing its banks. That God comes to us and works in us and moves through us. That people on every side would receive Jesus' love from us. Our youth and our children receiving Jesus' love from us, only then to become those who pass it on. Our church culture clearly moving with Jesus' love becomes a compelling invitation to unbelievers to come and see and experience the love of Jesus for sinners among us. Other churches in our city strengthened in their faith and unity by the testimony of God's love from us to them. Our sacrifice and giving of our lives, our money, our prayers spilling over to send missionaries and be sent as missionaries to places where Christ's love is not yet known. Full warning. Jesus is about to tell us that as we flow on and rush on and go to this grand climax of God's glory in his love covering the earth, we're going to face opposition. He tells them so we won't be surprised when it happens. Not because he's afraid anything can stop his mission. Nothing can stop the word and spirit from filling the earth with the glory of the Father. If you're not a believer in Jesus, only those who believe in him, I want you to know. Receive his sacrificial love given at the cross as he died for sinners. Only those who follow him in Willingly laying your life in his hands and laying it down. Will live in this glorious future that everything is running to. In the end, all who reject Jesus' love and refuse to live in it will die without the life that only Jesus can bring. I invite you to see this morning that Jesus indeed did lay down his life for you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you return his love by lovingly obeying him and following him. I'd love to talk to you about that if you'd like someone to talk to. If you're a believer here in Jesus Christ, if you're a part of this church too, or even that, even if you're visiting here and you're part of another church, or you're thinking you want to be a part of his church because you're following Christ in obedience, I want us all to see that we are right now participating in God's plan That is moving to the new creation where everything is filled with God's love. I want you to see that's why Jesus commands us to love one another. We see that on the horizon by faith as we come to the Lord's table in just a moment. The Lord's Supper is a meal given To regularly remind us that he laid down his life for us so that we might receive his love, live in his love together, and look forward to life in his perfect love together in heaven. As we gather around this table as a church, the people you sit next to and across from, these are the people Jesus died to show his love to. These are his friends. These are the people Jesus intends to love through each other. This meal helps us to remember that we are one another's one another. We are the ones Jesus tells us to love with his love. Let's pray.
Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you and praise you for your love. By showing it to us, it is how we know you and know it. Teach us more about your sacrifice and giving yourself for us. The depth and breadth of that love. Teach us Teach us who it is you would have us love. That we would love them as you have loved us. Help us to rest fully on you to, Lord Jesus, live your love in and through us. That we would not depend on our own strength. but That we would wholly and fully rely on Jesus. You, Lord, to do your work in and through us. And as you do, fill the earth with your glory. May your love overflow us to one another and beyond us. May it overwhelm the banks it runs in now and new areas and regions and lives and hearts would be overcome by the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ shown in his love, his death and resurrection. We celebrate it. We remember it now. Meet with us as you have in your word now in our fellowship around your table. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just as a reminder, if you have kids in childcare, if you could go uh, get them now so that our children can participate in watching and that our volunteers can come around the table. We're going to finish our time together, uh, and a full time it's been, around the Lord's Supper. This meal is a visual reminder that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for, for sinners, even for us. We do have some instructions from God's word about how to come to this table. So I'm going to read those for us now. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So we understand Paul is telling us and lovingly encouraging us to examine ourselves before we would come to this table. This table is for a specific group of people that Jesus outlines in his word. It is those who have publicly professed their faith in Christ through baptism and are continuing in that profession by being meaningfully committed to his church. If that describes you, even if you're not a member of this church, but you're meaning to live for Jesus with some other group of believers, and you believe the same gospel you heard today, then we would welcome you to join the table with us. But if you're not sure, or for any reason you feel like it wouldn't be appropriate for you to partake, as we come forward, you you can simply use this time to think about what Jesus has told you in his word this morning. In just a moment, the musicians are going to start playing and then lead us in singing, Oh, How Good It Is, which is a celebration of our unity in Jesus, which is appropriate because that's what this table helps us celebrate too. So the musicians will play, start singing. We can start singing at that point and coming forward down the middle aisles to receive the bread and the cup and then going back to our chairs on the outside aisle. We uh, in our church hold these things, bread and cup, till we're all back seated together And we can take them together as a symbol of our unity. So I'm going to thank God for this. And then the musicians will play. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord God, that you've brought us into the unity of faith and the fellowship of you, Father, Son, and Spirit, through the sacrificial death of Jesus. Help us to remember him in this time. Strengthen our faith through this remembrance. 
And Lord, we pray that in any way we would not come to this table in a false manner or under any wrong pretense. We would not do anything to offend you, Lord. You who is truth infallible and eternal. So Lord, draw us here. Draw us to the table. And Lord, meet with us as we celebrate in sobriety and in eager expectation and joy at what it means that Jesus came to die and now lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.